Te Raina Atarita Ferris runs education programs about Māori culture from her whare wānanga, Kurawaka. Based in Pōrangahau, she teaches wahine to find their karanga voice, teaching the foundations of karanga and the mātauranga of mana wahine, mana atua and mana motuhake. In this episode, we kōrero about kurawaka, kapahaka and karanga and get completely immersed in the stories of this wonderful fire. Whakarongo mai. Kia ora, I'm Kiane. Nuku is a movement. We're empowering Indigenous wahine to be agents of change, cultivating opportunities to shape the world we want. Through this series, we're meeting 100 kick-ass Indigenous wahine doing things differently. They show us how the world can be shaped by our unique Indigenous voice. It's all about who we are and not who we've been told to be. Nuku, mahine, mohine, kiahine. We are getting closer and closer to the Nuku 100 and as we do, uh, we are meeting more and more of our most incredible wahine. Today we have come down to Pōrangahau, uh, a little town that I have never been to before and I never had even heard of until uh, I was introduced to our next Nuku wahine. And when I had told a few people that I was coming to Pōrangahau, they said to me immediately, oh, are you going to see the Shasha and the, the Ferris whānau at Kurawaka? And so world famous um, whānau here in Pōrangahau. Um, but it has been a beautiful morning uh, here at Kurawaka and has been a beautiful morning um, meeting with the beautiful Te Raina Ferris, Te Nākui. Te Nākui. Thank you for having us. Um, thank you for uh, your whakatau this morning and welcoming us here into your whare. Um, I know that we are in Pōrangahau and this is your kāinga and this has been your kāinga for a very long time, but I ask every wahine, um, ko wai koe, no hea koe. Who are you? Where are you from? Mm. Oh, tēnā koe, uh, I ko te raina, Atareta Ferris, tōku ingoa. Ifano Maya Ho Heshasha. So I was born a Siasia. I married Romain Ferris. We've been married 50 years. Uh, and I'm from here. Raised here till I was 11. And then Inuku Mato Ki Heretonga. We went to Hastings and had teenage years in Hastings and got married at 18. Wow. Had four children by the time I was 25. Was a grandmother at 35. Yeah, talk about repeat, history repeated. But yeah, no, no kone. And um, my husband and I have moved back here to uh, what we thought was retire, <laughs> but it's anything but retire. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're here. So I'm here along with um, seven other of my siblings. I'm the youngest of nine, and I'm 70 next year. Mm-hmm. So I have five older sisters living here who I invited along, but with with one reason or another, they, they couldn't make it. And um, two brothers. Yeah, so it's lovely. And tell me a little bit about your whakapapa, because you and I were talking earlier and, and you've mentioned the, the sia sia, sha sha whanau, and it has uh, Italian roots. Mm-hmm. Tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about that. Uh, well, my dad's granddad came out of Italy, came from a town called Trani. 
on the Adriatic Ocean. And he got on a, a ship and sailed. He, he wanted to explore and go places. And he ended up here in Aotearoa and married a woman called Riria McGregor and had 11 children. And our grandfather was number 10. Mm. And uh, just before Nanny had her 11th child, he was killed on Portland Island. He was good by a bull. And Nanny was hapu with her, with Nanny Pity Hitter, who was the number 11, who married the Wakefield guy. And um, yeah, and she moved back, moved them all back to Koputaroa, which is over by Levin. And they grew up there. And then the Shashas ended up over here when the Whare Tipuna was being built, uh, Te Poho Kahungunu Tuarua. And Nanny came with her brother, Hoko Fitu McGregor, and, and her children were like the workforce because they were all in their teenage, late teenage years then. And then they kind of married into the village and we've been here ever since. <laughs> so that, that's over 100 years' occupation. But that, that's our Italian Ngāti Raukawa, that's Tainui Waka Whakapapa mm. there. But we're from here through our dad's mother, who was Atareta Hokianga. So we're Hokiangas as well, Tutakis. And that, that's our mana whenua claim here in Porangaho. So that, that's it in really in a quick nutshell. Mm. So. It, thinking back to your childhood, um, growing up here in Porangaho, was Te Ao Māori, Te Reo Māori, was that all part of your childhood or was that something that your parents didn't teach you or pass on? Uh, we, oh golly, yes, it was part of it. Um, but we, our, our mother was part Pākehā, part Māori, so we, we grew up comfortable in both worlds. Mm. But we became the group, the family, we were singers. We loved to sing. Our mother could hold a party down all night. <laughs> and um, and so we, we became singers, so... We became the group that did the Maraiatia Mahi. We sang the action songs, we sang the hymns. We we didn't sing too many Waiata Motea because they had kind of died out and had been replaced by Christian hymns mm. or or Fakangaho in the Pohedi process I'm talking about. And um, so that that gave us our our growing up years on the Marae. In those years, the kids didn't go to the marae like they do now. They went to do the work and they were taken home mm. because the people, the, the groups that came to the marae, I'm talking about the 1950s, 40s, 60s, were huge, you know, so we were the workforce. But um, te reo wasn't spoken in the home. The only time we learned, heard te reo was at the marae and in church. So we're an Anglican community. Uh, Mum and Dad never spoke Māori, but Dad was a layman in the church, so that's probably the only time I heard him speak Māori. <laughs> <laughs> but we sang it. Mm. We learned, I, I learned te reo through singing te reo. And then when our brother Pity was, uh, he was taken by our, our koro, our dad's dad, and he was taught the, the role of the whaikōrero 
and he went to Te Aute, so he was he was really cloaked in Matauranga Māori and, and Te Reo. So he became our, our, our tutor of all of that, if you like, mm. because we cranked up Tamatea Ariki Nui Kapahaka group in the 1970s, and we've held that taumata for 40-plus years. Wow. So didn't learn it academically at school, although I always wanted to because te reo resonated with my soul. You know, I, I love mimicking the mouths of the priests in church and I learned the Lord's Prayer in Māori before, before anybody else because <laughs> it resonated with me. And so that was our learning. But I always wanted to learn te reo. And when we moved to Hastings and I went to Hastings Girls High School, mm. I thought I'd learn te reo there. But in those days, te reo wasn't available in every course. You had to sign up and do the home economic course, which is about learning how to sew, how to cook, how to do all those things that I, I kind of knew about and didn't want. I wanted to be a secretary and do shorthand typing <laughs> <laughs> and learn accounting. But you couldn't have te reo in that program, so I didn't learn it there either. But we continued to sing. So having a passion for it, I made an extra effort to understand what the waiata was about and had attempts at learning te reo, you know, through the odd classes. And and then I'm married at 18 and off I go Mm. on another journey. I want to ask you about being married at 18 because it's, you know, it's not um, it's not common today to be married at 18, but I remember my nanny was married, I think she was 20 when she was married, and her and my papa were together until they both passed, mm. which was 50-plus years of them being together. No. And um, I just, I, I met my husband when I was 17, and we're still together now. Yeah. Uh, we didn't get married at 17, though. <laughs> it took us eight years before we got married. Oh, wow. But um, I want to ask you about that. Like, how did you know that that was, that was the right man and the right time and <laughs> the, <in> the everything? <laughs> uh, well, I was fussy. And I, I had met Doc when I was 15, and we kind of courted, you know, we were friends for two years before mm. anything happened. And But I, I had had the odd boyfriend. I wasn't that interested in boys. But Doc kind of um, inspired me, you know. He, he was lovely. Well, he still is. But he, he had my heart. And then um, when we decided to get married, Mum, because I was hapu, Mum offered to have the baby. But we, we were both, you know, mature in our thinking at that age and we, we were prepared to step up and own what we had done and we loved each other and we were both happy to get married. He was so excited because he's from a family of 11 and then his father remarried and had another five kids. So we're from big families. Yeah, uh, yeah but... But it was young, you know. And now when I look at my 18-year-old mokopuna, I think, oh, I, I couldn't even imagine them being married. <laughs> and 
But you're a great nanny now? As if there's I'm a great grandmother. Four yeah. generations yeah. of of Wahine and your whanau alive at this point that's in time. Right. Yes. I think that's amazing. <laughs> I think that's so special to have. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about, and I think it's this kind of society's view on how when's the right time to have a baby and when, you know, all these sorts of things and certain ages and whatever. And I think how beautiful, though, for people to, you know, fertility is peak when you're young, yeah, <laughs> for starters. Right. Yeah. So let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> but um, how beautiful to have four generations of your whanau here at the same mm. time. Yeah. It's powerful. It is powerful. Yeah. It is beautiful. It's a... Uh... It comes with responsibility, you mm-hmm. know. So we're, we've been on stage with three generations at Te Matatini. So it's just the, the great-grandchildren, they're all under under six. Mm. Won't be long. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's beautiful. <laughs> we've got more boys in our family than girls. Oh, yes. That, that's by and by. But the girls are the movers and the shakers. As wahine are. I think that's just, it's something that, I don't know, somewhere along the way people seem to have forgotten and we're just starting to remember it again, that it is the wahine that are the movers and the shakers and the doers and the, and the yeah, everything. <laughs> as, we, as we talk mm. under the um, portraits yeah. of, of wa, Atua Wahine by Robin Kahukiwa here in the whare. <laughs> Feels very, I can feel all the feminine energy in this yeah. space. Um, when we, uh, when we, when we were talking to you earlier, we were talking all about karanga and um, the wānanga that you run here. And I want us to to start talking actually about all of the amazing things that you have done and continue to do. And you currently um, run education programs which which teach mātauranga, which teach you know all about our Māori culture. But you've been doing it for years. It's just now you have a, a home base that people can come to as opposed to you going to them. Tell me, how did this come about in your life and how long have you been doing this sort of mahi? Well, um, yep. Under this kind of kaupapa, since 1999 I designed the first karanga program mm. and that came out of me shaping up my proposal for my thesis. But I believe it started way back, right when I was born. Mm. I believe in destiny. Mm. So this is my destiny and I was awakened to my destiny quite early in my life. Like what you said when you you received messages from your queer saying you're to work with wahine. Well, when I was a teenager and we were living in Hastings, I had a visitation one night or dream. Or, and when I woke up this mo- in that morning, that was the message. Raina, your, your future is with wahine. You will work with wahine. Mm. And that, that was so ingrained in my in my psyche, that I never forgot it. And anyway, um, that got put on the back burner. But on reflection, I have always worked with women in my sporting career, in my um, kapahaka, with having five older siblings. We've always been a strong 
feminine um, collective. And we've held that collectiveness right up until now. So there's five of us living here. Mm. And then um, when I was 17, I was put out as a kaikaranga at the marae. And I'm the baby. So it, it wasn't a role for the younger child. It was a role for the mātāmua. Mm. But, uh, but with colonisation and moving to the cities, all of those tikanga got tested and tried and warped so much so that they picked me to call on a ope at a tangi. And you didn't question it. You just got up and dealt to it. And I couldn't speak to Dal then, but I, I loved it. I sang, sang it and I had a good articulation of Dal. So I guess that's why they picked me and I was there. And I had a confidence because of all the singing that we had done up until that time. And um, and that kicked, kicked off doing the karanga on the marae. And then with Tamatea coming up, um, being birthed the next year, it got put in the Kapahaka arena and then being married and all of these other opportunities that came up where they needed a kai karanga. And one, once people know you did the karanga, you seem to get picked, oh, get Raina, get Raina. Because <laughs> by then it's a dying art already. Mm. It's dying. And, um, and it just grew from then. But the main thrust of my exposure in that field was through kapahaka. So the value of kapahaka and its mahi in feeding down the matauranga is invaluable. Yeah. Still still can't speak fluent well then, but but knowing I've been put in that responsibility, I I did the work to ensure that, you know, what was gonna come out of my mouth was right. Mm. So you live by trial and error. I obviously botched it up a few times, but I didn't get struck down by lightning, you know, <laughs> because my heart was in the right place. <laughs> and then it grew. And then when we when we um when we went to Tewananga Orokawa, I I knew that that place had a lot to offer me in broadening my scope on why we do what we do, because we grew up knowing what to do and we weren't really ever talked about or told why we do it. We just did it. Mm. And so did our nannies and so did their nannies. So by the time I'm getting through my degree, I'm, I've got all these questions I want answered and I found that nobody wanted to answer them because they hadn't been explored so I designed, I decided then I'm doing my doctorate, no, my master's on karanga. So I shaped up a, a plan of what I wanted to research and, um, and I took it to Whatarangi Winiata to check and it was actually Whatarangi Winiata who said, this is very good, Raina, why don't you turn it into a programme? So I did. How many... How many wahine would have gone through your program since then? Thousands. 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 Wow. I keep thinking I must I must do a count, which <laughs> you never do. So look at that, over 250 this year, back 20, 21 years. Tell me about karanga. 
Tell me about the power <laughs> of karanga and the awakening of karanga mm. within wahini. What, what that all means and represents. Mm. Well, how long have we got? Uh, as long as you need. <laughs> <laughs> I will sit here all day if I have to. <laughs> yeah. Well, by the time I left Rokoa, my mission was then to um, build the capacity of kaikaranga on marae because mm. uh, by then I had I had had a lot of amazing experiences nationally and internationally and locally and tribally that showed me that it was a dying art. So by the time I had been through Te Wananga Orokawa and learnt the, the wider scope of Mātauranga Māori, I, I, I realised this is, this is your kaupapa, Raina. And so off, off I went. I'd owned it. I took it. I was, I was passionate about it and I wanted to do the work. And then um, it took a bit of guts, you know, because because in in academia your your whole purpose is to learn knowledge, experience knowledge, and put out new knowledge. Although it's not new, it's just modern knowledge, if mm. you like. But that that's the process of acquiring new knowledge. And and having had the experiences that I had, so. I'm I'm 40-something by then, and I've been a kaikaranga since I was 17. So I've had about 20, 25, 30 years of doing it. So, and, and I've felt the power of it. So what, what drove what happened was the demise of the art form throughout the country, and that's from the demise of the reo, and the, the demise of the handing down of knowledge. And that's why the, the wānanga that were formed were so critical in the revival and the reclaiming of and the remembering of who we are as Māori. Mm. So I, I just kind of stepped into my place and went with it. And, and the intention was about loving who I am because I knew I was Māori. I knew I was a part Italian. I knew I was part Scottish, part English, but my, my soul and my world was Māori. I wanted to be Māori. I lived Māori, but I was fair. Mm. So there was always those little little barriers that you got to go over. But by then I, I was happy to, to own it, to put it out there and to use suffer the consequences if there was any that came back because it was all founded on aroha. And off I went and it just it started out at Te Wananga Orokawa. I taught it at the Wananga and then it grew to Marae. Other Marae wanted it taken to Marae. So I trained up the women that they designed. They, they had picked to teach, teach the programme because the program was designed for specific reasons and and it had a place to start. And I, I knew then that by building, by teaching the wider wider um, corridor about what underpins te tu or te wahine on marae, that it would strengthen our wahine Māori. And I used karanga as a mechanism 
and the pathway to do that. Mm. And it's about sound, accessing this magical sound that resides in all Māori women's wombs in the kudawaka. Kudawaka is an old word for the womb. So we grew up talking about the whare tangata, but you go back another another decade or whatever, it's kudawaka. So Heneahuone is formed at the kudawaka of Papatuanuku. And um, and in my journey through Kapahaka, Brother Pity had written songs about that story, that pūrāko, and that phrase, me haere koe ki te one tapu i kurawaka kei reira te ira tangata. Mm. That, that phrase stuck in my soul and my mind forever. And then when I got to that point, I understood why. And, and, and that's why this place is called kurawaka, and it's a birthplace. Kura is the red, that's what the red is symbolic of. Mm. It's the womb, and the waka is the vessel, it's the womb. So the kura is the red blood that grows the fetus, grows the baby, nourishes the baby inside the waka, the, the womb of the woman. Now, all of that kind of kōrero is what underpins wahine being the kaikaranga, and wahine opening the pōhiri ritual, and that's about te mana o te wahine, mm. te tapu o te wahine. And then I began to learn about the orokohanga o te ao Māori, which is the creation story of our Māori worldview, based in our Takitimu traditions, and it's all matriarchal. We come from a matriarchal origin, papa, Hene Ahuone, Hene Titama, Hene Nuetepo, Hene Wairua. There's a whole 70-odd Hene that those stories got put to bed or swept under the rug or whatever, forgotten about, but they haven't disappeared. They're just waiting to be reawoken, retold and repowered. And that... Karanga is the voice that will activate that um, closed cob- cupboard, if you like. Mm. So karanga is the voice that, that welcomes the living onto the marae. It's also the voice that opens the portal for te ao wairua, ao tipuna mate, to come to the marae too. So that, that's a magic that, that most women don't even know they have, let alone know how to access it or where it is, doesn't sit in our brains, doesn't sit in our our minds, it sits in our womb space. It's that ancient primordial voice that we're born with by being born wahine Māori. So that that's all level one called it all. It's the foundation stuff that underpins the role being a woman's role because those roles are challenged today. And unless we we dig into it, it'll change. And unless we understand why it was a woman's role, it will change because it's it's changing already. Mm. It's, it's 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 as clear as a bell. It's changing already, and now it's changing to another level 
um, and that because our our tamariki are coming through the various kura Māori programs, they're coming out teenagers equipped with te reo. So they're being put out to be the kaikaranga in the schools. It's happening right under our noses. But they don't have the maturity to understand the role. Mm. Because the role was for the ruahine. And a ruahine is the name of this on my forehead. Mm. This is a ruahine. And the ruahine were the, the kuia who had been through menopause. See, right. you can be a queer, but you can still be in your ikura time. Mm. But once you go through menopause, you become a ruahine, and they were the keepers of that role. So that's changed. And is that is that because once they have gone through menopause, they're no longer capable of birthing through their wharetangata? Mm-hmm. And so... Connecting to Te Awairua has a different yeah, exactly. meaning, purpose and, and potential outcomes of Absolutely. bringing Te Awairua into your tinana and into yeah. your space. Yeah, absolutely. It makes so much sense. It does. <laughs> it makes so much sense when so you're it all like this. <laughs> the practicalities of every tikanga has a practicality mm. and a wairua side. Every tikanga that we practice, there's a logic why we do it this way and there's a taha wairua why we do it that way. And that's it. So by the time you've gone through menopause and survived, because not everybody survived, your consciousness has heightened. Mm. Your understanding, your acceptance of things has gone up to another taumata, another taumata on that potama. So you're able, you're more able to detach from the humdrum things that, that hold you down in a lower density when you're a mother. You, you cannot concentrate on that higher spiritual work when you're worrying about your kids running across the maho, or, mm. you know, that's your role at that, that time makes of being. so much sense. It does. <laughs> <laughs> you just didn't go, oh. Yeah, yeah, kapai, rua hene, and yes, kua katia te keti ki te rua. So you're no longer fertile. Mm. You no longer can have children. Therefore, you've elevated your status to another level. We we talk about this and we talk about it in a way that it does make so much sense and it, and it um, is really beautiful when we think of the roles that we have as wahine throughout the different times in our lives mm-hmm. and and where those roles are. And then we also think about today in, in the modern world mm-hmm. and the fact that many of our wahine, uh, because when they were young, were not able to kōrero Māori we're not given or handed down the the knowledge to karanga. They were not given the opportunity to do that. And so there are many of our ruahine today who are unable to karanga. Yeah. And so then it falls to the next, the next generations and the younger generations to take on those roles mm. in the hopes that we're able to sort of do a bit of a reset. But in this moment of doing the reset, we sort of have to... Uh, take it on at a much younger age. Yes. I remember meeting a whānau 
uh, a few years ago when I was um, writing for magazines and it was a, a mama or a kōtiro, a mama and a kuya, all from the same generation. And um, they they were talking about their roles as wahine in and around karanga and that um, the, the kōtiro, or she was in her tw- late 20s, she had gone to a hui and the, the ope had just assumed that because she was a wahine Māori and because she understood te reo Māori and because she could karanga, mm. that she would. <laughs> and so they assumed that she would. And when um, the pōwhiri happened, she didn't. And one of the, the tāne said to her, one of the, the kaikōrero said to her afterwards, why didn't you, you know, respond? And she yeah. said, because in my whānau, my mama hasn't handed me down that the privilege and the yeah. right to karanga yet. And so in my whānau, that's still my mama's role. And I found that really interesting because I guess sometimes we feel obliged to put, to do the karanga and it's this kind of, it's this really interesting space mm-hmm. in, in the modern world trying to navigate which parts of our tikanga we adhere to, which parts of our tikanga we bend a little bit, which, and because, you know, the tikanga of the pōwhiri is, you know, also to reply with karanga, yeah. but then the tikanga of the whānau yeah. was that she doesn't karanga unless her mama gives her permission to. And it was just this really interesting um this really interesting conversation in Kōrero I was having with this wahine and this whānau. And I have never had that experience in my own family because my grandmother wasn't a kaikaranga. Um, that wasn't something... She was um, kai mahi toi, she was a kaiako. She was, you know, all of the, had all of these other roles. Yeah. Um, but she wasn't a kaikaranga. And my mama is not a kaikaranga. And I, I can see that my whānau need more kaikaranga on our marae. We need that for our marae and for our whānau and for our wider whānau. And my kōtiro, whoo, she thinks she can karanga to the whole, whole wide world, <laughs> that one. But um, it is something that I want to resurge within my whānau line and my whakapapa line. Lovely. And I guess my partai, I don't even know what my partai is. I'm just, <laughs> I just feel like I'm in this space going, I'm going to turn off the recording. I don't have my wahine ma. <laughs> We're just going to have a wānanga amongst ourselves. <laughs> no, but the, the, I guess the partai is, how do we navigate that in today's world? How do we navigate this space in today's world when we are still... Um, trying to undo the effects of colonisation and reclaim a lot of this kōrero and a lot of this um, this tikanga and this mahi for ourselves, which means for a lot of us we are stepping into the space before our time. Mm. How do we navigate that? Very carefully. A lot of tikanga was set according to the worldview of its time. Mm. So we, we, what's beautiful about what we do here is we provide a platform for women to wānanga. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to wānanga. Wānanga a whānau, wānanga a hapu, wānanga a iwi. And, and, and we say tikanga changes, so we need to look at the tikanga, 
understand why it was set the way it was set and can we set it in that, that same way in 2021? Or no, we can't. So, so we need to decide, well, do we reshape it or do we compromise it or do we just throw it up in the air? Mm. Well, I, I believe we, we can reshape it. It, it. it has to be reshaped with a spiritual understanding of why and a logical one mm. because our world keeps evolving. Tikanga, what is ticker today, was not ticker a hundred years ago. And it's understanding why we do what we do, which is more important. Well, it is, it's what underpins everything. Why was it um, just the role of the mother? Well, that's because the Marais in those days were trenched in Māori-speaking women mm. and everybody had a role. The roles were clear. The youth had a role, the young parents had a role, the young men had a role, the kai kōrero had a role, the kai karanga, the kai karakia, everybody's had roles. Well, today, we're multitasking, okay? And you can do the kitchen and the front all in one go. Back, back, back 50, 60 years, well, probably more like 100 years, mm. You didn't. The, the the cooks were in the cookhouse and the kai karanga were in, in looking after what they looked at. They were clearly defined. Today they're not. But I believe we'll get back to it because because we've had 40 years of kohanga reo and then kura kaupapa, whare kura, whare wānanga. So it's, it's up to us. It's up to us Māori. We should not be expecting the government to do anything. Mm. It's up to us as Wahine Māori, wahine Māori need to own this dialogue. It's not for the men to tell us what to do. It's for us to, to sit wānanga, understand why we're doing what we're doing and to see where change is inevitable. I've got a neat whakatauki. Change is inevitable, struggle is an option. That's a proverb I mm. quote all the time in this. And if it is to be, it's up to me. So what are you going to do about making change? And so, so my my choice in, in doing what I'm doing now was 20 years ago, where I knew I knew without a shadow of a doubt that by teaching the art form, the art form, not women how to karanga, they'll learn that they got to learn that themselves. But it's about the art form. It's the depth and the breadth of the role that that would strengthen te tū o te wahine and will build capacity on the marae throughout Aotearoa. I've taught from Ngāpuhi down to Bluff, Parihaka over here and in between. And and it's still at, at its beginning stage, you know. It's, we're, we're dealing with 180 years of colonial dissemination of colonial ways and, and I've been going 20 years. It's going to take a lot longer. Mm. So I'm the youngest of six siblings. Why was it me? It was me, I believe, because I had the aptitude. I had the passion. I had the ability with te reo. I had a confidence. 
and I had a love for all what goes on. We all had a love for what goes on in Marae, but I had a different love, and it's in my name, Te Raina. So I come from a line of chiefly wahine, or we all do, but my name does, and I believe it connects back to there as well through that Hokianga lineage. Um, Mm. Yeah, beautiful. When when we talk about karanga and when we talk about uh, even waiata, whakangaha, you know, all of these different ways that we can use our voice and use mm. our voice to evoke to, you know, mm-hmm. all the powers that be that come with our voice. We think about our the oro, the power of the oro, and that Hine Wirangi Kohu Morgan talks about this, that there's no point in learning taonga puoro if you can't use your oro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. She's right. And when I think about the wahine who come through this this wharewananga and who come and learn about um, karanga, what are some of the challenges that you see uh, wahine today when it comes to finding our oro and, and using it and mm. and the power within it? What are some of the, the challenges that you're, that you're coming across or the barriers that wahine put in front of themselves, I suppose? Oh, mainly it's their upbringing and, and being brought up, being put down, mm. being brought up as being victims of violence and everything else. Now we've got drugs and all of that to contend with as well. Uh, less, lack of attachment to Fano, hapu, marae. Because I'd say the bulk of the wahine come, come from the cities to this wānanga. The ones that come from other marae are quicker to, to develop. Mm. And lack of confidence. So we got to build the confidence. That's koera te tuatahi. Build the confidence open their spirit realm because they're so in their heads, they're not in their spirit mm. because karanga is a reo wairua. He reo wairua te reo karanga. E hara i te, te reo hiningaro. So how, how the heck do you teach someone to do that? It takes time. It takes constant uh, repetition. But we, we talk about this voice residing in our womb space. And uh, so we've got to look into what, what, what are you talking about, Raina? Womb space. You know, my voice is here. Mm. It comes from my lungs. No, it doesn't. It go a bit deeper, 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 deeper. It comes from right within your womb space. And, and uh, you know, women have had tragic experiences with their womb space, so they shut it down, whatever it would be, through through sexual abuse, through bad birthing, through whatever, and it gets locked, throw the key away. So it's unravelling that, opening that, allowing them the safe space to feel safe enough to share their mamai. A lot of crying goes on in here, share their mamai. And then to and then to shift their consciousness down into their womb space. That that's huge, mm. you know. So we go to the beach and we dig down into the sand. We go out on the grass and we go bare feet. 
we go in the chill of the morning to feel the chill of Papatuanuku and we talk talk around all of that and then we help we, we, we provide exercises that draw the modi of the womb of Mother Earth into your womb and help you access that and then help you draw that up through your body and out through your mouth. It, it takes, well, we, we run three levels, you see, so we're still by level three, we're still getting there. Mm. Because you you were taught this taonga, you were picked aside by your kui and you were taught the intricacies of it as you grew. And by the time you were a kuia and a rua hine, you just stepped into the role. So that that's like... Well, how many years? That's 30-odd years worth of training. Mm. So, you know, so when they come to do the course, I says, we're not teaching you that um, you don't leave this course saying, I'm a kaikaranga. No way. You you leave this course saying, I know a little bit more about mm-hmm. the role of the kaikaranga. You're not getting a, a tohu saying, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I, I can do this. I'm a, oh, I've am done Rhino's course. I can do it. <laughs> and I've heard stories like that. No, mm-hmm. that's not what we're doing. So it's introductory. It's, it's three levels of introduction. And then you go home and you develop that. You, you make yourself available. You learn te reo. You learn about your marae, your hapu, your whānau, your iwi. You got to do the mahi. And, and you go deep within yourself to pull that knowing out because it's, it's in you. We're born with it, actually. Mm. So I teach the ori ori of Tutere Moana and it's all about conception, how we as Māori view the, the conception of a baby in the womb space and what goes on. There. That's a beautiful ori ori. I teach the first verse which talks about that. And that's what ori ori do. They prepare the child with all the mātauranga so that they, they grow up knowing who they are and standing in that mana. And all, all the information that's in the ori ori is in there to help that child grow up. So I use, use waiata, use karakia, use the crystal bowls, sound bowls, because those crystal bowls... You want to play the bulb up? They have a frequency all of their own. So it's all about sound, mm. the healing of sound and the therapy of sound. Mm. So the, the crystal alchemy bowls just vibrate at a, a higher hertz frequency. And and you, you imagine that the role of the kaikaranga is to open the punaruimata of the living so that you tangi. So have you ever heard a karanga and you've just wanted to tangi? Oh, yes. Yes, well, yep. that, that's good. That means the kai karanga is on the right vibration. Yeah. And her, her vibration is in sync with yours and and unlocks your punaroi mata. And then dealing with the mate, how do you unlock the portal to allow wairua to come through? Because that's what it does. So that's all about frequency and vibration. So those alchemy bowls over there, so there's crystal bowls which are just made of made up of that big that big crystal mm. boulder there, that's crystal quartz. But the alchemy bowls are crystal quartz 
Plus, they've got other minerals put in them when they're fired. And they produce a higher frequency, which take you there straight away once you start hearing them. Mm. So it's all about sound therapy and how that works in your brain. So I've done a little bit of study on the brain, you know, because when we listen to any sound, it has an effect on you, be it a hula, be it ACDC, be it Pavarotti. <laughs> Pavarotti does it for me, mm. you know, because that's my Italian DNA being activated when I hear him singing in Italian. So sound is the catalyst. So it's not the throat sound. It's not yelling at your kid's sound. No, no, that, that, that's producing another reaction. That's a different frequency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a lower frequency. It's <laughs> a more densely vibrated frequency. Yeah, so it's about heightening our consciousness mm. and, and that's what all this is about. It's about helping me stay up in that level of conscious awakening. You are, have done a number of hugely impactful things throughout your life and are continuing to do that and you're also writing some books and we don't talk about deadlines because you know those are free flowing <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> um, but I I would love to know a little bit of, a little bit more about the books that you're writing mm. and what you what you're wanting to bring into the world for us to all line up and <clears throat> read. <laughs> Shotgun being first in line. <laughs> Cured above. Yeah, well, it's a time, you know, women re need to rewrite the narratives, mm -hmm. you know, and in our in our programs we look at the pūrāko, some of the atua wahine pūrāko, and we analyse those pūrāko as wahine Māori, and we, we look for the lessons. What are the lessons in that pūrāko? What's it teaching me? And then we look for the value of that pūrāko and then we, we try and find the moral of the story. That usually jumps out. And then we look for the relevance of that pūrāko to karanga. That, that's an exercise we do in each noho. And that's very empowering. That that's and that's discovering the the mana of that atua wahine, the characteristics of that atua wahine. But what what we've learned is that all the stories are written with a western a western twist, mm. especially Hineti Tama story. Okay, so over the years, it's it's been obvious that the stories need to be rewritten by woman, Māori woman, of today. Because you can do that now, you know. Mm. We Once upon a time we thought, oh, no, that's the story. That's the gospel. Mm. Who am I to rewrite the story? Well, we, we now liberated ourselves and we now know that the stories need to be rewritten. So um, I'm writing... Um, for a few years now, I've had four books in my head that I've wanted to be able to step away and write and haven't. I've just got cracking this year through Ngahuia's uh, persistence, <laughs> which I'm thankful for. Kia ora Ngahuia Murphy, Yeah. 
So the the first book, um, well, I didn't know what order to put them in. Anyway, I've talked I've talked with various women who have written, written, and they've said the first book must be your story. Mm. What got me from there to here, and some experiences that I've had along the way that have made me focus on this destiny. And there's been heaps. I've, I've done karanga to whales. I've done karanga to animals. I've, I've had experiences with, with, with wairua that need to be shifted on. You know, I've, I've, I've had a lot. So I've, I've, been, I've started writing that book. And then um, the next book that's going to follow on, either in that book, according to Ngahuya, or a separate book, is the, the, the karanga book, the book on karanga. You know, what it is, why it is, how it is. Um, examples of, see, mm. because I don't like, right, they don't come here and they don't learn scripted karanga because karanga, what comes out of your mouth when you're doing the karanga is determined by the kaupapa that's about to unfold. So you can't script karanga. So that's not what I do here. Um, so that's the second book. And I'll probably mould those two books into one. Then another book is the Atua Wahine stories. So over the 20 years of analysing the stories of the goddesses, well, there's so much in them. There's mm. so much learning that we we as wahine Māori, wahine, Wahine in general, because all, all the stories of each culture are written for the reader to learn something from the story. So what do we as Māori learn from uh, Hine Ahuone's story, Hine Titama's story? There's a wealth of lessons to be extracted rather than learn them the hard way like they did. So that's the third book. And I want to. Re- I'm going to write a, a set of oracle cards with the goddesses. I've, I've started on these, but they're all on files on my computer. And uh, so that's how many is that? That's three or four. And another another story because when when Popo Karanga started under Te Wananga Orokawa, I went out to various marae and taught in other iwi. Mm. Now, that would never have been done back in the day. But because of the loss of the knowledge and the no, no one to go to or not aware of who to go to or no one to go to, whichever, I've ended up in Ngāpuhi, in Auckland, in Padihaka, in Kahunganu, in Ngātiparau, or down the South Island, <laughs> you know, and and the stories from those journeys could be another book mm. because um, because the students that come have to write various papers for them as well, and I've collated some of those papers. They're all in my office over there, so that would be a beautiful book in itself. Um, so what 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 support do you need to help make those happen? <laughs> 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 
let's just while those people are listening because yeah. I know everybody listening is going where well, when can we get this where can we get it from oh. I'm writing it down so rather than do that what can people do to support you to help make that happen um, well I guess there's I don't know because it's in my head you know <laughs> Help me get it Help down. Draw it out. A lot of it is actually on paper, but it's mm. filed away, you know. So it's 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 trying to make space in my life to to identify, and that's what Nahui is doing again. You know, she's she's trying to map it out for me. Mm. But I, I need a I need a PA, but PAs cost money, so I need someone to get money. So finding money takes time. So I need someone with time to find money. Okay. You know. <laughs> We need time, we need money, we need a PA. <laughs> if, you're yeah. any of, if you are any of those things or have access to any of those things, <laughs> here's somewhere you can channel it. Any change, flick it over to Nuku. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at, at the moment, you know, all these all these things are coming into our scope because of the, the economic, because of the shift in Māori, mm our Māori world throughout Aotearoa and all the government agencies and schools, people are ready to shift the paradigm of our Māori worldview. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're getting knocked on the door. We're, we're getting people coming here wanting to talk and, uh, and it's a bit much. It's exciting. <laughs> It's but exciting, it's, but you got books to write. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I, I love my artwork. I want to paint. I want to sew. I want to create. Mm. You know. And so I, I don't know. Any thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's three wahine sitting in this room mm. that I'm sure would happily move to Porongo to, <laughs> to help you <laughs> help bring this into the mm. world. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about your brother, Pity. And I was talking about how when I first started in journalism and I was working at Mana Magazine, I remember him being on the cover of one of the earliest issues. I wasn't at Mana Magazine at the time. Um, (laughs) It had been a few years uh, since that cover that I had started, but the the cover was um, of his puhoro and uh, the back of him on the front cover of a magazine. And while we were talking about it, you said, yeah, it was that time that you received your round about that time you received your moko kauai. And uh, that those are quite significant moments for mm-hmm. your whanau and for your siblings to have together. Mm-hmm. And then your beautiful kōtiro was here and uh, she was talking about her moko kauai and we were um, talking a lot about our tamariki and our mokopuna and how um, these things are so important for us as wahine. And... Mm-hmm. And then the differences between um, prerequisites and, and <laughs> you know, what I guess what things people put on themselves um, before they receive their kawai, what society has put on, but also what some of the obligations are. And I guess I know that you're contributing to something else on these topics and I don't want to take away from that mahi that you're doing there, but I am interested in asking you about um, we have a few wahine maumoko who are part of the Nuku 100 and each of them have had different experiences um, in the time they received their kauai and since receiving their kauai. And I guess for you, 
you've seen a real transition in in from your time mm-hmm. and then to almost the normality of it now. And and I don't say normality in a bad way. I say it in the most beautiful form that yeah. I look around my world and every day, almost every day, I see a wahine maumoko. And it's it's beautiful. What are your what's your whakaro around Mokokowai and where it sits in the world today? Mm. Oh, it's exciting. It's beautiful. It's liberating our wahine. It's, you know, kura te tū o te wahine. Katū tātou i tō tātou mana Māori, mana wahine, mana motuhake. I guess it does things for, different things for different wahine, but in, I'm sure in essence it helps that woman, ahakoakowai, Stand stronger in her, in her own uh, mana. Mm. Even though she might not know it at that time, there will come a time when, when the realization of the, the depth of of putting mukokoi on your chin, and um, it, it it's happening. There's no stopping it, and it's it's beautiful. So for me, when I, I got mine done, I got mine done the day before I took the Te Matatini stage as Kaitataki Wahine for the last time. Mm. And Mark Kōpua did mine. And he did it at Te Matatini wow. on the Friday. And I took the stage on the Saturday with it freshly done. And I, I wanted... I wanted the moko kowai so that I was visibly seen as a Māori. Sad, eh? And that's because my skin was fair, is fair. Mm. And and all throughout my life, you've had these little nasty little comments and nasty little incidences that challenge you being Māori, whereas your soul and your heart is embedded in it, but your visible expression of it is what it is to whomever. So I always, I always loved looking at them in our whare tipuna because we've got some over in the whare tipuna and grew up with them there, but n- never ever thought um, we'd have one because it had died out. Mm. You know, there's a six generations loss in our, our lineage. But then when Pity got his puhoro and then he started learning about other wahine getting mokokowai done and then my sister who's one year older than me got hers done and I thought, well, gee, I'm going to get mine done. Because <laughs> <laughs> by then I'm already working in Te Ao Māori, mm. you know, we all are. We never ever stopped actually. But it's about stepping up and saying, yeah. So you, you get the permission. Seeking permission was challenging. And um, the biggest challenge I had in getting permission was my husband because of his reasons, which we won't go into. But when I, when I got to a point where I owned it and I was prepared to take the consequence of whatever he decided... Mm. I'm deciding, and I decided, and I decided the night before I had it done, 
that I'm having it done. And that same night he decided, the night before I had it done, that he had no right to put his thoughts on me. <laughs> and so, boom, everything synchronised and Mark did it. At, at the and you're still together, so that's all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got through yeah, that bit. <laughs> yeah, two daughters have had it done, our son's had his puhoro done, and, and my husband's even had his skin done on his shoulders, you wow. know. Whereas once upon a time, like you said, it was a Bible thing. Mm-hmm. That was taboo. So it's they're all processes you've got to work through. And if they're to be, they will be. And if they're not to be, well, they guess they won't be. But I, I see Moko Kowai as a, a part of the, the renaissance that we're in at this time as Māori. Mm. Wahine Māori are just so magnificent at this time of our evolution. We're just stepping into our power. We're, we're making change. We're taking leadership roles. But not just Wahine Māori, Wahine throughout the world. Definitely throughout Aotearoa, we're about to get a Māori Governor-General. That's right. We've got a Wahine Prime Minister, Wahine Governor-General. Heaps of Wahine mayors popping up and deputy mayors, mm-hmm. you know, and that that's not even going outside Aotearoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time for the feminine energy to take its rightful place. That's right. And its rightful place is to stand level with the masculine energy. Mm. That's why we're out of kilter now. There's too much masculine power, which is causing the demise of the planet and everybody on it. So it's something we have to do for the sake of everything. (sighs) Shifting us to feminine energy, Mm. who is an Indigenous woman that has inspired you on your journey? Dr Rangi Marie Rose Pere. She was my mentor when I was a young girl. Before I even knew who she was, mm. I'd heard her. So again, it's, it's that hearing that voice that's activated something in my brain where the, the cavern's been locked up for so long. Mm. It was Rose Pere. And uh, her and I have had a beautiful journey together. I was so, so sad when she passed last year, but, you know... But she, she's grown me along the way. She's taught me things about, about why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's been beautiful. She's been my mentor in, in this journey. I've got lots of my mothers, my, my beautiful mother, Maimon Shasha, from the sterling lineage of mm. the South Island. All, all born through colonial eyes, but mum had a soul that was Māori. So by the time she was two, she had moved here and they lived up up down the road there. And She actually grew up living next door to my dad. And um, anyway, mum's heart in Ngāko was Māori. So she's my my heart mentor. But Fire Rose, Fire Tungia Kaiho has been another uh, very powerful queer who's influenced me in my time at Rokoa. Uh, my daughters, so all my daughters can karanga. So when when I um, 
stepped into the role. I, I worked alongside my older siblings because they were my older siblings and Narato uh, Temana until I got to a point where um, I was told to own it because I kept going back to my older sibling and saying, Kayakwe te reo? And she go, No, Kayakwe. Until something happened where I was told to own it and step into it. So I did that. And then, and then my journey, because I was a practitioner of it, the kids learned it. They imitated me. And then by the time they're teenagers, they're able to karanga and they've learned my wānanga and now they're teaching in the wānanga. They teach karanga. Mind you, two of them are now grandmothers. And uh, there are 40 plus. One, our oldest daughter turned 50 a couple of weeks ago, wow. you know. So, so the, leg, the, the teachings must be handed down. And I did that consciously because even though the tikanga was you don't karanga while your mother's alive, well, that, that's all right back then, but, but not today because, like you say, mum doesn't speak Māori. Mum lives in Australia. Mum doesn't want to know. You know, all of those lots things. Lots of different reasons. Lots yeah. and lots and lots of different reasons. So it's better better to pass the knowledge down and have more because one rhino can only do so much, whereas now I've got my daughters that can run these wānanga. Um, that's what we've got to do. We've got to disseminate the knowledge mm. and we've got to allow them the time to have an experience because outside of the marae there's another place for karanga so the marae is the formal place which is governed by koa but there's a he wahi anō motereo and that's in your everyday living mm. you know karanga your kids up in the morning go to the beach and karanga the sun up in the morning Karanga hene nui into her rua i a poor. You know, karanga to the birds, karanga to tawhiri mātai when he's blowing. And those are all platforms where you can develop your ability to access that voice mm. so that when it is time for you to stand in the formal stance on the marae, you're there, you know how to go there. Now that, that will take a couple more decades so me, my daughters, my granddaughters, they're, they're capable, and some, some of them. And then there's the great-granddaughters. That's four generations already. So they'll, they'll, it'll take another three. But we'll get there, you know. It's, it's happening. It's happening. It's like moko kowai. It'll become... Uh, I don't know what the word is, or I don't want to say normalise. It's being normalised now because many wahine are getting it done and mm-hmm. and it's all over Facebook and people are writing books about it and people are talking about it more openly. And even though some of the perceived tikanga that people perceive as tikanga, uh, are they tikanga or is it just someone's perspective of, mm. of what they've been witness to. So, you know, we're really in in the tohetohe time 
where we need to wānanga. The matariki coming up, we're in the perfect time to go home and wānanga. Wānanga nanga i te kōrero rero. Yeah. <laughs> I've, come to yeah. that, I've come to that time in the podcast that I always hate and it's the last question oh. <laughs> and I hate it because it means this kōrero comes to an end. However, I feel like this corridor is not going to come to an end. <laughs> I feel like we might just push stop and then carry on. Aroha mai whanau. <laughs> but my, my last question is, uh, what is your hope for the future of Indigenous wahine? My hope for the future of all Indigenous wahine is that we will reclaim our, our origin stories thereby reclaiming our view of who it is we are um, and that all of that will help us stand in the manner of who we are as Indigenous wahine because we all have a foundation that was designed to build strong people. Mm-hmm. So my my hope is that it keep, continues to happen. It is happening, maybe not for every culture, but it is happening that we learn our real if we have a native tongue, that we learn our pūrāko, that we teach our, our babies and our grandchildren, that we empower our elder wahine. You know, they, they might not be able to speak Māori or know, know it, but they've, they've lived long lives, so they've learned along the way. And it's to value and appreciate, appreciate each other's koha, to, to this world. <sighs> and I'm, I'm part of the uh, Global Grandmothers Network. Mm-hmm. So I've been on Zoom doing Zooms with um, other Indigenous grandmothers around the world. Yeah. Wow. I spoke on Potama with, about rites of passage and... Yeah, I was part of a team that started the Aotearoa Grandmother Circle. I'm on the Pacific Rim Grandmothers Council. So I've got a network of grandmothers globally from all nations that are doing in their own way just what we're doing here because colonisation has happened everywhere and, and, and it's tragic what's happening. We think we're hard done by where we're not hard done by when you start looking at other cultures and what they've been hard done by we're, we're in a perfect place to reclaim re restore and rejuvenate our culture so reclaim it we reclaim it first by learning about it we rejuvenate it by by living it and we, um, reclamation, restoring, sorry, reclamation, restoring, restoration is the second one. We restore it by teaching it and handing it down. And then we rejuvenate is by celebrating being born Māori, being an indigenous wahine of Aotearoa, speaking te reo Māori, wearing moko kauai, being a kaikaranga, doing kapahaka, mm. doing maurākau, 
all of those things that, that have been denied us through colonisation, it's time to reclaim it, restore it and rejuvenate it. Maori ora. Maori ora. <laughs> um, I just want to mahi to you. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing only a fraction of your story um, for the, the mahi that you do to help wahine Māori. I know that you have impacted every rohe, every iwi in some form or another through the wānanga that you uh, enable and empower other wahine to f- find within themselves that... Um, that voice, mm. <laughs> the voice that doesn't come from their throat. <laughs> no, deeper, deeper. Um, <laughs> and the impact that you're having, I, I, oh, I just sit here in awe that I even get to have the corridor that I get to have with you, and um, I'm very privileged to have been able to meet you today. So thank you so much, Tina. Mm. I want to meet you and your little team. You know, doing what you're doing is so invaluable, so special to put us out on on the national or international global stage now, eh? It's it's, it's fabulous. It's it's what we need. So ngā mihi ki a koe, ki a koutou, ngā pūrotu o nuku, ka nuku te papa. <laughs> hey. The earth is moving. Look out. <laughs> Kia ora. Kia ora. Don't forget, whānau, our book, Nuku, Stories of 100 Indigenous Women, is currently available on pre-order. Make sure you grab yourself a copy. Want to know more about our book? Nuku, Stories of 100 Indigenous Women, is a powerful and important snapshot of Indigenous wahine today. Through wide-ranging voices, this ambitious social documentary allows you to obtain authentic insight into life as an Indigenous wahine in a way like never before. The stories recorded are of incredible wahine. Each offers significance to the story of mana wahine, from Oscar-nominated filmmakers and award-winning musicians, to scientists, entrepreneurs, tribal leaders, artists, environmental champions, knowledge holders, mothers, and more. These nuku wahine seek to influence the world around them. The youngest is 14, and the eldest is in her mid-70s. They are wahine Māori, Moriori, Pacifica, Melanesian, Wiradjuri, Himalayan, and Mexican. Order your copy today at www.nukuwoman.co.nz.